Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thank you so much for tuning in to Growth Island. Today, I got one of my favorite human beings on this podcast. This special guest was on the podcast earlier on episode 12 on brain concussions. It's Daxa Maximov. She is one of my trusted advisors that I go to for advice on health and life in general. She is always fun to talk to. And I have several of my biohacking friends as well that always end up talking with her for several hours. So we will try and see if we can keep this episode a little bit shorter. The short bio about Dasha is she was working as a management consultant in PVC. She has then gotten into health and she was one of the leading individuals behind setting up the Health Optimization Summit in London, meaning bringing some of the best speakers from the US to the UK. So we had a, another big conference and not just a biohacker summit and the German one, of course, which I think is Max something, but uh, we'll have to look that up later. But the reason why I got Dasha in today is not only because she's awesome and because of the things that I just mentioned, but because she's also very much into female health. And she started this community for females, so or women, all the good world, girls as well. You got to be careful as a guy what you, what, what you say about women, depending on the age. I had the discussion with some colleagues earlier today. They didn't really care what I called them, whether it was girls, gals, ladies, young professionals. But Dasha set up something called WealthCo which is really cool that we're going to hear a little bit more about. But uh, Dasha, thank you so much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure, Matt. Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you for that intro. How do I follow that up? (laughs) Easy, easy. So we already did the longer intro um, in the last episode. So today we're going to jump much more into it. So what's up with women's health? Well, yeah, we'll try and keep this short. Uh, or short on the shorter side, but there is, in a nutshell, there is a lot to cover with women's health. A lot of kind of what could be perceived as negative, could be perceived as, um, yeah, just things that have been against us as women or um, things put into the spokes of our wheels, if you will, for women's research. But I think, I think the beautiful part of this is that there is a problem with women's research and there is a problem with women's health and therefore there means that there is a potential solution that we can bring. So to me, I think I one of the things that I also admire and love about you, Mads, is that you are always this positive tigger, this positive force in, in my life as well. And, and, and I think that that positivity is the way that we need to really be thinking about women's health. And not thinking about it as, oh, the, these are all the negative sides of, of research and what's, been, what's happened wrongly, but rather how can we understand that, know our history, know the facts, and then change that for the future. Hmm. And you explained me something I thought was pretty fascinating and eye-opening, is that a lot of research is actually not done on women, only on men. Because women are too complicated with their cycles and different things. There's many reasons for that. But I was like, wow. So we have these studies showing that it works for men, but we actually don't always have them that it works for women. That was pretty mind-blowing for me. 
Yeah. Again, there's a lot into it. And so maybe I can just launch into that and, and talk a little bit about the history because it's, it's informative, right? So, and part of this is there's an incredible book we can put into the show notes, but it's here. It's, it's called Women's Health Research. And it's absolutely fascinating. It gives a really 360 degree view on women's health and, and what's happened there and the research specifically. But if we're just to take a little bit of a, of a, trip of a voyage of a journey back into into the history if you look back at women's health it's really really quite new in 1975 which is maybe not in our lifetime but in our definitely in our parents lifetimes right the fda which is the, the food and drug administration they restricted women of childbearing age to participate into studies so just in our in our lifetime alone women were completely stopped from being in research. Now, you could say that that's a negative thing, but in truth, there's it was done with a positive mindset because they thought that if you were put into research, then you potentially could have a negative impact to your to your child, to your future child. So 1975, FDA restricts it. 1985, they said there was a women's health force that said, we need to actually change this because there has there is a quote historical lack of research focusing on women's health concerns. And the reason for that was in part because if you remember, there was, there was a change in terms of heart attacks. So men, when men present heart attacks, it's this big, like, oh, smash, you know, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. It's a huge hurt in the, in your heart. It's something that is a massive event. You can see it if somebody, you know, somebody falls to the ground versus women's heart attacks are much more subtle. It's the beginning of, of tingling in your fingers. It's um, losing, losing feeling in part of your face. It's the beginning of a stroke. And then after a stroke, then you have the heart attack. So what they found was that specifically within heart attacks, specifically within cardiovascular health, men and women presented very, very differently. And so they said, actually, if that's the case in heart attacks, then likely that's the case in other research. And therefore, we need to include women in research. So that's in 1985, kind of within our lifetime, right? Fast forward. And I know so that- just to stop you. So that yeah. explains the man flu. Why <laughs> when men get sick, we feel so much worse than women, just like heart attacks, we almost fall around. So, <laughs> could, could that be contributed to that? Or is that like taking it too far? Maybe taking it too far, but I know for a fact that many, many of the men in my life, when they feel even a little bit of the flu or a little bit of something, then that's it. They're out for the count, whereas women just trudge on and they say, yeah, fine, I can go to work. Yeah, I can still make dinner. I can still do things even when I'm feeling quite sick. So maybe yeah. there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but fast forward. So then, <laughs> so then, and I won't go into the rest of it, but effectively what they're finding is the next 20 years of in 1993 and 2003, even in 2019, there's, there's a, a betterment of women in research, but it still is, is not exactly the greatest. And here are the examples. One, women are included in the research. So let's say there's a hundred participants. Of those 100 participants, they say, fine, you know, women need to be included in there. But it ends up being 70% men or 70 men, 30 women. So they're included, but they're not included to an extent that they can be statistically significant. And so therefore, they are technically included, but then they're not included in the, res in the results, in the research, in the analysis of the results, because it's not statistically significant. 
So the analysis wouldn't be overall on the 100 people. It would only be on the 70 men. The results Potentially. Okay. Potentially, exactly. So that's a really good shout. So either they say, yep, 30%, that's not statistically significant. So therefore, just throw, throw that 30% out. And then let's just focus on the men. That's one option. Option two is they include them, but even in the analysis, even though they include them, it doesn't actually prove anything because in order for it to prove that there is some efficacy or some something of worth, you needed potentially 50 women and not 30 women, mm. right? So then even if they do include it in the report, then somebody reading the report is going to throw it out or say, mm, that's not good enough, right? And then I think the other the other element is that when you're thinking about drugs and drug trials, there's phases, right? Now, what they what the what they have required is that in the last phase, usually kind of phase four trials, you have to have women included in those trials. Absolutely have to. But the problem is that most of the drugs and most of the dosages of the drugs actually happens earlier on in the phases. So phase one, phase two when or even pre-phase one, and when women aren't included in those. So then the reverberating effects is that you you have women included in phase three, phase four trials, but because you didn't include them in phase one, phase two, then the dosage of the drug is erroneous. The dosage is actually dependent on the male model rather than the female model. And we see that, and there's there was, there was this incredible case, a couple of examples there. So one was, so there's a uh, a project called the Corona Drug Project, which was the first project on estrogen therapy. Estrogen. Women. <laughs> it's for women, right? And that drug trial was done only on men. The, so estrogen just to therapy. Clarify, just clarify, <laughs> this is not Corona COVID-19. This yep. was earlier. This was in the 1970s. So way before anything to do with COVID-19. It just so happened to have the same name as this as well as the same name as a beer yes so Got it. Uh, so yeah so the corona drug project nothing to do with covid back in the 1970s specifically a drug trial for estrogen therapy estrogen therapy is something that's used beautifully nowadays and you know in certain cases for women back in the day they did the drug trial on men they noticed that it didn't do anything for men and therefore they just threw the, the project out now you would think if you're looking to help women, you would do the drug trial on women, right? So it's just, it's just funny. Again, it's, it's funny to see the things that we did in history and how obvious they seem to us now, but back in the day, it, it, it wasn't as obvious, right? Mm. Um, the other one that, that a lot of people talk about or, or is a really interesting case is that of Ambien. So Ambien is a sleep drug and back, so they did certain trials but again, unfortunately, they didn't realize how it impacts men versus women in the trials. And so overnight, or, or what seemed to be overnight, they Ambien came out and said, and cut it. They gave the recommendation to four women to completely cut the dosage by 50%. Because what they found was that women would take the drug, and then the next morning, they were still feeling groggy, they were driving to work, and they were falling asleep at the wheel driving to work because what they've noticed is that women metabolize in the liver a lot slower than men do. So therefore, we as women need a very a smaller portion of that drug to have the same effect. 
And how much got to do with weight compared to gender? Right. Really good point. It has a lot to do with it because men are oftentimes heavier. Yes. So then again, same thing. Men are heavier. Men, men um, typically have, they, I can't remember what it is now, but um, they have a different water weight often than women do. And that can also impact how the drug is taken. Hmm. So yeah, really good point because that's exactly it. We are very different in certain things. And so I think, I think in terms of how we progress and how we are so different, our, the diseases present themselves differently as well. So women's health used to be seen as, as bikini health. It really used to be seen as just, we are the same as you guys, with ex the exception of what's underneath the bikini. Boobs and like off a penis. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, not on that point, but uh, when we're talking about health, it's um it's not mental health where we don't use any drugs because a lot of studies within psychology are often being done with several women. Um it's often university students, many of the psychology um studies have been done on and often with a majority of women in them. So here we're talking more about the health and within drugs. Mm, interesting. I didn't I didn't know that. It makes that would make sense because a lot of women do go into psychology. Yeah, it's uh, white females are the majority in psychology tests. That's that's one of the problems with many psychology studies is that you have a overrepresentation of uh, women and uh, white individuals going to universities, mm -hmm. and there might be a, a slight difference in some of the um, some of the approaches to um, to get someone better or get them motivated or yeah help them train more and so on. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. So, I mean, going back to the diseases and the differences between kind of men and women, because um, I think that's the question, that's one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, okay, well, well, what are the differences? And unfortunately, it's complicated <laughs> as, as everything is. Um, but I think one, I mean, cardiovascular, we already talked about that. Um, there's, there's a difference between men and women. And more importantly, or more interestingly, men and women just present the symptoms of cardiovascular disease differently as well. Um, men can, oftentimes it's men who are overweight who have a cardiovascular disease. Not always the case with women. You can have somebody who's very thin, very slender, and yet her heart is not, is not up to snuff. Hmm. Um, so what can yeah. we do about that? Or what are some specific cases where it's good to be aware as a woman, where hmm. we already know something that we can do different that not that many women know? And then we can go later into like, what can we do in the future to mm -mm -mm. get a bit of research? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, so there's a couple of things. So in terms of women, what we do know, and again, this is the challenge because the research is so new that we are just starting to really parse it out and say, this is how we should research for women or we should have, you know, it's sex specific research. Um, so it is new, but what we're, what we know now at least is fasting. If we're thinking of biohackers, right? Mm. Fasting, it's quite different between men and women fasting. It appears. And again, there's only been a couple of studies out there, but it appears that women need less fasting or a prolonged period of time. So what I've seen is between kind of 16 and 20 hours is, is a good space. Mm. Uh, you don't really need to be doing the extended fasting of 24, 48, 72 hours. And in part, part of that could be that fasting is 
it is such a stressor and it could impact your hormones. Um, but again, that's, that's me talking a little bit out of, out of just as an, as a hypothesis, hmm. because we don't yet know, we haven't done enough studies on that. Um, and because people are so nervous about putting women into two day, three day, four day fasts, and then impacting their menstrual cycle. And if you don't have a menstrual cycle, then that's impacting other health implications down the line. Hmm. And I think that's, that's one thing that, um, when I'm, when I'm talking to women, oftentimes that's a, a change in, in how they should be thinking about, about their health. Oftentimes people think about menstruation. I know, sorry, hopefully this is not uncomfortable, but, um, you know, thinking about menstruation, it's, it has been a, a taboo subject and it has been something that we as women are kind of shamed about it. Either, I mean, either you're not talked about it when you're, when you're a young, a young one, you don't know what to expect, what's normal, what's not normal. Should you be having a menstrual cycle once every three months? Is that normal? Or, you know, is cramps normal? Is massive headaches? Is depression normal? These types of things, I think that needs to be reeducated. That in truth, your menstrual cycle is, is a really amazing test, a, a natural test that we do or we, that we have that gives you a barometer of health that you guys don't really have, <laughs> you know? So it's, it is something that if you don't have a, a cyclical steady cycle, that is something that, that needs to be evaluated because it is showing, showing signs that you're not as healthy as you potentially could be. Mm. Well, it's, it's an area that I find really fascinating, despite being a guy, that you actually have this biomarker once a month or every second month that tells you so much. And I know a really cool startup as well that's working on actually do testing on menstrual blood because mm. you have this natural way of actually, instead of it being um, the disadvantages of women, it could be the advantages from women to really understand their health and also the data from multiple women, if you start doing that, would be able to answer a lot more. Oh, I think yeah. one of the things we, we forgot to mention why it's also so complicated to study women is because there's more variables. So what are some of those variables when you have to study a woman that might actually change the results? Yeah. So um, if you think of women, there's four or five different times in our life and things are going to be completely different in those four or five times. So it's pre-puberty, trying for a child, being pregnant, post-pregnancy, perimenopause, and menopause. I think that's seven actually. So depending on where you are in your life and depending on what you're trying for or not, then your hormones are going to be completely different. So that's your life cycle. And then every single month, we're also changing and we're also cascading. You have three major hormones that are, are always in this beautiful symphony, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Also pregnenolone, but let's go with that. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. When those are in balance and there's a beautiful symphony working, then, then you're in business and it's great. Now what ends up happening though, so and, and they change every single week of the month. So every single week is different from us versus for you guys. So my, there are certain weeks that my brain is very expansive and very more on the strategic side of things. And I can pull back and, and it's almost like I'm looking over everything that I'm working on and be able to say, yeah, this is of importance or this is not. There are other weeks in the cycle where I'm extremely detail oriented and I will notice absolutely everything. But knowing those cycles and knowing those weeks is, is 
One, it's a superpower, in my opinion, because then you can plan around that. But from a research standpoint, that is also difficult. So I think that's, Matt's kind of what you're you're mm-hmm. getting to of where where is that difficulty? And mm-hmm. it's and so it's twofold. It's one, where are you in your life cycle? And two, where are you in your monthly cycle? Hmm. So if we jump from like, these are some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. These are challenges with studies and so on that we'll talk about later on how we can potentially improve that with mm-hmm. more um, progressing more with the uh, research within women's health. What can we do or what can you do as women and what can we men do to support you? Like what are some of the key things? So we have fasting. Consider how long women fast that uh, mm-hmm. if they have a partner, they potentially shouldn't fast as long that it might be better just to do 16 or the 20 and not do mm-hmm. like several days as often. Mm. That's one thing. We know something about when you have your period. There's um, some studies I heard about it's good to do presentations a week before or something like that mm. or mm. at a certain period. And they also look into it with sports. What are some other things where women are having challenges or so on or where they can use the advantages of understanding like what's unique about being a woman? Good question. Just to go back on what you what you just said, I actually think that is the first thing that women should do is get a better understanding of where they are in their cycle. Oftentimes women are saying, I don't even, I didn't even know that there were four phases to the cycle. And I didn't even know, I don't know when the, my last period was, for example. And so there are a lot of really amazing apps out there. There's natural cycles, there's clue, there's, there's other ones out there. There's some free ones. There's flow. I, think I like clue perfectly. I huh? think Apple has it now. Uh, I think the Fitbit and most of the watches as well have that you can include your period. I yeah. Notice that with some of my fitness watches that asked me for my period when was the last time I had one. <laughs> and when was yours? So uh, let's not go into that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I personally use Clue. I think it's a fantastic app and I pro- I find it to be better than some of the, uh, the wearables out there uh, because you can tailor the things that you want to track. So if you want to track your your appetite, if you want to track your meditation time, if you want to track your libido, if you want to track all those types of things, then I find Clue to be a, a good one. And it's free, which I like free things. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think it's it's learning to track those because when you track that, then that also helps you communicate with your partner potentially, or if you're open to it, communicating even with your colleagues. Um, maybe, you know, and that's maybe the next level. Um, you don't necessarily have to say, yes, I'm on this week or I'm on this day, but it could be that you you, you do think ahead and say, oh, okay, if we are going to have an offsite with the team, if we're going to have a strategic meeting, maybe I should set a schedule it on the third week. Maybe I should schedule it, you know, kind of thinking about it like that. So I think the first step is probably becoming aware of your cycle and becoming kind of really starting to truly realize that it is a superpower. Um, I never looked at it that way. And, and I think that's a mental shift um, because it's also that opens up a dialogue with, with the people in your life to be able to, to call out and say, I, I am not necessarily this mood. It is my hormones. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's also a, a differentiator in terms of how we think about health as well of, not identifying with the symptoms and not identifying with, with, with the negativities that may come with some health challenges. So being able to say, yeah, you know what? I am hormonal and that's not a negative thing. That is a natural thing that happens every single month mm-hmm. and every single week. So being able to say, you know what? This week I do need to calm down a little bit. I'm not going to have that much energy, but in two weeks time, you bet, you better believe it. I'm going to be skyrocketing. 
So I think it's just getting in tune with, with, with your cycle a little bit more. The other thing that I would recommend is we as women, I mean, one of the, the differences between, between men and women is, is our hormones, right? And again, going back to that cat, that, that balancing and the cascade, when, when the balance is, is imbalance, it's great. When it's not, then we get, we have annoyances, right? We have the mood mood swings, we have the cramps, we have the brain fog, we have the hair loss, hair gain, we have weight loss, weight gain. Hormones are these, are these incredible little chemicals that we don't give enough credit to. And when we start talking about birth control, for example, or any other hormone disruptor, then I think oftentimes what ha- what happens is that we think that that what we're taking as an as an external hormone is just going to impact that one thing that we want it to to impact. So, for example, taking birth control, that's only going to impact whether you get pregnant or you don't. In truth though, many of these hormones that we're taking externally, they they cascade through our entire bodies, right? So it's not something where you take birth control and it only have and it only impacts your your fertility, it is going to impact how you think. It is going to impact the partners that you're you're interested in. There's there's an incredible, incredible researcher, Sarah Hill is her name, and she has she specifically researches birth control and the brain. Fascinating woman, fascinating research. And specifically she's saying that if you are on birth control, you're choosing a different partner potentially. You're choosing somebody who has more feminine features than masculine features. And if you're thinking about the reverberating effects on that, hypothetically, you could be on birth control, find your partner, and then later on, not be as interested in that partner when you want to be having kids when you're off birth control. Additionally, what she's finding is that there are potential negative reverberating effects on depression and mental health by taking in those external hormones. So hormones, we're not talking just birth control. We're also talking the hormones and the the products that we're surrounding ourselves with and that we're putting onto our skin. And our skin is one of the biggest organs that we've got. And every single day, women put on so many products, so many products, you know, called makeup, shampoo, um, kind of creams. any, what's that? Creams, body lotions. Creams, so deodorant, perfume. I mean, all of these things, they have... They have xenoestrogens in them. They have external hormones, external estrogen that you're taking and you're putting on your body. So I know that you had an, an, an awesome episode with Mete and folks, you, you guys should listen to that one because it is, it's true. It, it is the skin health. It is, it is thinking about the things that we're putting onto our bodies that are going to leach in or, or be sucked in by our body. And then how is that impacting them? Yep. That was really interesting talking to Mete about both men and women. But especially for women, because you use a lot more products than men, or at least the average man. Um, It's not that often that that many men get up in the morning and put makeup out. Even though in in this society, more and more men are starting to do it. But so this is really important for women that you're actually filling your body with a lot of potential crap. Yeah, yeah. And And it's interesting because we, again, we are so hormonal. And we are, so if you're messing that balance then you could potentially have more of the hormonal imbalances that we're seeing become more and more prevalent. So we're seeing a lot of women have endometriosis. I think the statistic is one in seven women have endometriosis. It might even be higher. 
Endometriosis, it's a hormonal imbalance. Um, your endometrium, the lining of, of your uterus, it's, it gets too thick, basically. There's also PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Also, I think in the UK, it's called PCOS. But that, again, is a hormonal imbalance oftentimes. Some of it can be genetic, but some of these things are hormones. So they're mm. finding, again, either it's birth control or it's just our, our environment in general that is adding hormones to our, to our system. Maybe you're eating too much soy. Maybe you're having soy lattes every single, every other day that could be potentially impacting, impacting that balance. And you're not necessarily connecting those two pieces together of the makeup that I'm, that I'm putting on my body every day is impacting whether I have really tough periods or whether I have extreme mood swings or depression. Mm. So someone sitting out there being like, wow, there was a lot of bad stuff that I didn't know about before. <laughs> Be like, life is complicated enough already. Right. And now I have to deal with this. Now I can't have sex without a condom or in special periods. So let's just like go through some of the stuff that we talked about that can be done. So we definitely know that birth control or like birth control pills and certain things can have a really negative effect. I read another study as well about suicide rates being much higher, new research coming out. And so that's definitely something to be aware of. When I've discussed that with women that hasn't looked into the science, they're like, say what? <laughs> like, um, and one of the reasons why it actually got approved back in the days, uh, even though there were so many dangers, was because of, um, what would you say, um, women rights, and they wanted to be independent as well. So it was actually the mm -hmm. women's movement that pushed for birth control and so on. But there mm -hmm. were a lot of red signs in regards to getting it approved. Mm -hmm. But so it's definitely something to stop up as a woman if you see that you have especially mental challenges to figure out, should you get off that? Yeah. And there's different things. There's a good old condom because we do know sex is good for health as well. So Oh yeah, oxytocin, get that up. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're not saying stop the shagging. We're just saying consider the birth control. Consider using a condom and consider being very careful with the periods where you don't because at least in Norway, there's been there's the, there's these suggestions that you have certain safe periods so you can measure your temperature mm -hmm. that has been recommended but we also have a lot of stories from Norway and other places where it's been recommended and several women actually got pregnant so there's a bit of controversy uh, whether it works or not um, I've heard some experts really say like this is super good it's proof um, there's no problem and I heard other doctors being like this is shit you're mm -hmm. just getting a baby so it's probably yeah. looking into that window but people yeah, can get and that off and that for for anybody who's listening that's called it's it's FAM fertility awareness method um and that's basically saying that you're you really only have five five-ish days in the month that you potentially can get pregnant um it's the day kind of when the egg drops during ovulation and the five days after because sperm can last for five days you guys have some super swimmers um but but that is an incredible method and it does basically what you can use. You can use natural cycles. Um, and when you ovulate, your body temperature actually rises. So you can see where, when you've ovulated and when those potential days are that are danger days, <laughs> or in the case of if you're trying to get pregnant, good days that, you know, that, that is better for sex or worse for sex, depending on what you want. So it's, I think there, there is a lot of really amazing science out there. I'd be curious to read more about what, what's going on in Norway uh, compared to the rest of the world, because it's a method. I mean, the, the challenge with fertility awareness method is that you have to be very, very cognizant and calculated. 
<laughs> you have to wake up in the morning, take your body, your body temperature and just be cautious of it. If you miss one day or if you aren't as methodical about it, then you are risking, you're risking it. So I'm personally not completely against the birth control pill. I just think it's used too ubiquitously. It's used way too much and for too many things. It's used as a band-aid for a lot of girls who are still very young. They're 16 years old and all of a sudden they're getting put onto the pill because mm. they're, they're, <laughs> they're going to the doctor. The doctor is saying, oh, okay, well, you have really bad periods. Okay, well, your cramps are so bad, you can't go to school. Or you're, you're so distraught by this that you're starting to have mental health problems. Or you're, you know, so it's done with a really good idea. It's done with wanting to help the young girl. But then at 16, you put them on, on exogenous hormones. Hormones for when they are just still getting through puberty, just mm. still getting through puberty, and you're giving them extra hormones. And the, and the brain usually is, I mean, it's, it's growing until 23, 24, 25, depending on multiple things. But that potentially means that this young girl has been on exogenous external hormones in the form of a birth control pill from age 16 to whenever. And her brain is still from 16 to 25, her brain is still forming. So it's just, it's one of those things where, again, the birth control, control pill is fantastic. It's given us as women an incredible way to control our lives, right? From, a, from the women's health movement, it has completely changed our, our ability to, to be modern women. The question just becomes, is it the best thing for you at this moment? Or could you be using even a copper coil? Could you be using a patch? Could you be using other ways that you're not disrupting your hormone or hormonal balance as much? Mm. So if we go back to solution mode, yep. so then we want to look into how is your period actually feeling? Because mm -hmm. if you have a lot of pain, there might be an imbalance. Um, and one of the things to look into as we talked about are skin products. Uh, mm -hmm. We have made this episode that we can listen that you can listen to about like what to do about it and what to look out for. So it goes a bit deeper into like, yeah, what do you have to be careful about? But that's mm. a really big one as well. Mm. And then we talked about really becoming aware of what is it you're doing in your life that's changing how you feel and how your period is is behaving, so to say, right? Yeah. Yep. And to go back to, to the point on meta and skin health, if she didn't mention it, I don't, I'm not sure, but just in case, guys, there's a, a beautiful... A database called EWG. I think it's the Environmental Working Group. It's fantastic. They have an app, free app that you can scan your products in, and they will tell you where where the products lie in terms of danger or too many hormones or whatnot. I ended up when I started looking at the products that I was using, I basically had to throw out half of them, <laughs> even though they looked healthy and they had that natural feel to them and all that. Um, I ended up having to remove and go back to nature and back to um, sim simple things to to heal my skin. And that's one of the big challenges out there is there's a lot of really good marketing where it looks really healthy and environmental mm. and so on, but it really isn't. So when I asked Mette, well, like, so how do you actually figure out what is good or not? One of her ways was like, can you see a person behind it that's using it and using it on her children? Mm. Because we will do certain things to ourselves that we definitely don't want to do to our children. So oh, yeah. that was not the scientific approach, but that was kind of like, that is definitely a way. If someone is speaking about it and they seem to have a lot of integrity and it's not just a brand where there's some 
Um, let's put a business guy sitting and calculating that we can have higher margins by putting some other ingredients in. That can be one way of looking into it. I love that. There's also the idea. There's also the idea of if you can make it at home, or if you can, if you can understand the ingredients that are in there. If there's four or five ingredients, then great. But if you wouldn't, there's also another movement of if you wouldn't put on, if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin. Yes. <laughs> I had Thomas Sylvestin as well, who makes a lot of his own products as well, because mm. he is very much looking into like so many of the products have so many bad things in them. So he he makes most of it himself from natural ingredients. Mm. So time is running, Dasha. What can uh, one of the things that you started is Wealthco because mm. some of these challenges with both as a woman figuring out have finding a community. Uh, where you can find like-minded people that are discussing some of the challenges and advantages and possibilities you have as a woman, and also advancing the research within women's health. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think going forward, how do we solve the problems that we've been talking about? Right. It's been it's kind of been a heavy episode in the sense that there's problem, 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 and and in truth, that just means that we have an opportunity, which I think is awesome. And I think there's right now is this beautiful time that we have this, We it's almost like it's a time that we everything is coming together to solve this problem. There is a book called The End of Certainty by Simon Dudley that I'd really recommend reading because it almost talks about these types of of events that come together. So Uber was an event like that where everything was, was meant to, was, was the perfect storm to fix it. And in this case, what I mean by that is that right now we've got telehealth, we've got data that we have on wearables. We have people starting to really understand personalized medicine and personalized health. We have the ability to order tests online and become our own health advocates, become our own kind of pioneers and and explorers within our own health. So I think there's it's almost like a systemic thing that it's the right time for us to be able to take care of our own health. And so we, so again, last year, creating the the and curating the health optimization summit there was it was incredible because we had some wonderful wonderful speakers the problem was that not a lot of speakers were talking about women's health specifically and looking at it not from a wellness and feel good standpoint but really in the data and in the research so we created wealthco short for women's health community specifically for that reason to say okay we've got really brilliant women who really want to understand what's going on with their health want data behind it, have wearables, have health tests done, and and we want to get to the bottom of this. So research typically takes from, from lab to consumer 15 to 20 years. 15 to 20 years if we think of something, put it into a research lab, and then the next generation gets it. We're trying to shorten that time frame. We're trying to say, why don't we use citizen science? Why don't we use this idea of biohacking and an N of one, a statistic of one, to shorten that time frame. So WealthCo right now is an online platform uh, where we have four different types of people, four different type groups of women. We have doctors, we have researchers, we have entrepreneurs who are trying to do something for women's health. And then we have what we're calling kind of health explorers, people who are willing and wanting to take control of their own health and not just take the doctor's order and just believe it without doing their own research. So WealthCo, the idea there is bridging that gap that 
exists in the industry today. So bridging the gap between you and wanting to speak to the doctors, wanting to interact with researchers who are in the lab. So it's online right now because we're not traveling. We don't have a lot of these kind of last year we were doing meetups in person. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to start that again. But it's online right now. And we typically have a expert interview once a week or so. And then we have the Q&A. So the Q&A then allows women to really listen to the podcast, listen to the interview and come back and then have a direct channel to ask the experts their questions. So if you have a, can- if you have a cancer patient or um, somebody who has had cancer in their lifetime, we will have somebody like Dr. Nasha Winters to come and answer your questions. So yeah, it's just in the beginning, but it's, it's our, our attempt or our, our, what we see is the way forward on how to kind of bridge these gaps on some of the problems that we were talking about before. Hmm. It's definitely an amazing community already. And some of the speakers you had in talking specifically on women's health. Mm. So for all the women out there, that's definitely something to go check out if you want to learn more about women's health and how to be, how to get the superpower of being a woman so that your body is in balance and giving you uh, giving it the most. And also just there's only like the different stages of women. It's pretty important to figure out. It's also when you get to the age of 40, 50 years old, something else happens in your body. That's also a place to to go for some answers. Yeah. And I think it's what, what I've noticed is really beautiful is women opening up about their health challenges and becoming a little bit more vulnerable, knowing that the women that are in this group have either been through it already or likely have some answers. Um And I think for me, that that's been a change as well of of identifying with my brain concussion, right? Of identifying with, oh, I'm depressed or I um, I don't have energy or I am feeling really negative or whatever it is, right? And then being able to call it out and realize whatever it is that that's not me. Mm. And so splitting those two apart, splitting that and saying, I'm feeling this way but that, that is not Dasha, hmm. right? And then by doing that and that mental shift again, by being able to do that and posting that out on, onto the network, it's incredible how, how, how supportive we as women can be. Hmm. And we can say, oh, well, I've already, I've already dealt with that. Why don't you try this food? Or why don't you try, listen to this podcast or listen to this or do this, right? It's wonderful seeing how the community is even stepping up and giving suggestions to each other. So what's the address? Oh, it's www.whealth.community. So wealth.community. And then our Instagram is at wealth.co. Yep. I'll make sure to put in the show notes as well. Thanks. And Dasha, where can people find out more about you and how can people engage with you? Oh, um, it's uh, on Instagram. I don't post that much. I have a love-hate relationship with social media, but uh, it's at underscore dash of health. And just reach out to me there. My interests are women's health and brain health. Those are the two things that just rile me up and get me interested and get me going. A lot of the things that I talk about is actually more on the natural biohacking side of things, supplements and all this technology. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic, but I don't see it as a as a must-have. So that's kind of what you'll see on my Instagram if you're if you're following me there. Otherwise, if you want to just reach out to me on email, it's dasha at wealth.community. Mm-hmm. 
And so I know you do different speaking engagements as well. As far as I remember the last time we talked, you might be open for one or two advisor roles within something women's health or brain health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My previous life was in management consulting. So it's been really fun. I've been on, I've been helping a number of different companies. And yeah, it's it's fun to be able to connect the dots for folks and introduce folks and open doors as well. So if there's anybody out there, then yeah, I can just reach out, reach out to me. Perfect. Before we round off, last advice for our lovely women. It can be something you said already. Yeah. Mindset. Focus on your mindset before you focus on anything else. I think that that is something that's very overlooked in health. And if your mindset is negative, or if you are surrounded by individuals who are pulling you down or, or in any way not uplifting you, then that is going to impact the rest of your health. So if that's, you know, if that's finding, finding a friend from, you know, halfway across the world that you can talk to frequently or, or just really evaluating and saying, okay, each of these individuals that's in my life, am I, am I getting positivity from them? Is the job that I'm in, is that giving me positivity? I think with, with Corona, at least for me, it's, it's been a little bit of a, of a slap to say, we we are we do have a finite amount of time on this planet and are we enjoying it and are we giving and are we serving as much as we possibly can um because at least all the health self-health books that i've read and all the different uh, biographies that i read and things like that most often people are saying even when they're financially completely you know billionaires and they've most of the time people are saying that they receive the most positivity when they're helping others Hmm. And so perhaps that's, that's something to offer as well, but that's a long winded answer to basically just say, focus on your mindset, focus on positivity and doing everything to cultivate that in your life, because that'll have reverberating effects on the rest of your health. I think that is a beautiful advice, Dasha. We'll get that in. Did I forget to ask about anything or anything that we didn't touch upon that would be important? A lot of things that would be important, but anything that we need to get in? We didn't cover like the differences in diseases uh, of like anxiety, like that women are two times as likely to have anxiety and depression as men. We don't need it's fine. That will have I think to we be. covered. I mean, you t- you tell me. I I can talk for ages. You know this. So I think you we, tell me. I think we got around it today. Also yeah. within the time limit. Yeah, gotcha. yeah it's fine. Let Thank it be. you so much for participating. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.